Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Good morning, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us for another Anchor at Home. Before we jump into the Word this morning, I just want to invite you to do something with me. Wherever you find yourself, whether it's in a living room or your kitchen or wherever, now maybe don't do this if you're driving a car, but you can do it later. I want to just invite you, let's just do something together for a moment. Now, we believe the Word of God is true, and one of the passages in His Word says, in His presence there is fullness of joy. Now, some of you in your heads or even speaking out loud might have completed that sentence before I did, and that's awesome because that means that the Word is inside of you, and so we believe that the Word of God is true. So just for the next couple of moments, I want you just to do that. We've, we've had worship, and, and we are now, we are ready to hear from God's Word, but I want us to just take a moment, and I just want you to close your eyes, and I want you to let the presence of the Lord just fill you with joy. Don't think about the reasons maybe you need joy or whatever. Just in this moment, just take a, a beat. Just take a moment and just let God's presence fill you with His joy. Thank you, Jesus. You know, for those of you that were able to just roll that right off as I said it and took that pause as fullness of joy, as I said just a moment ago, you know, that, that means that at, in, in, at least in some part, that scripture and part of God's word is in you. And that is the purpose of God's word, to be inside of us, not just so that we can, you know, rattle it off like just some mindless memorization, even though that's cool, but the purpose of God's word being in us is so that it is ready at a moment's notice to bring, what is it? To bring instruction, to bring correction, to bring encouragement. We believe that God's word is living and it's active. And another passage of scripture, it says, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Even Pastor Quentin in weeks past talking about his series on the armor of God talked about that. How the word of God literally is power and it is power to do all that God wants to do in our lives. And so we can stand on that and we can trust in that. And we're going to come back to that later. But on that note of talking about God's word, let's jump into it today. Let's start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to land on verse 7, but we're going to back up all the way to verse 1. It says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, talking about our bodies, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Thank you, Jesus. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Verse five, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in this body, we are away from the Lord. And then verse seven, for we walk by faith, not by sight. 
Some of you who might have been following along in the Word were probably able again to fill in that blank. It's a very well-known passage of Scripture. So we're going to unpack that a little bit today. So here, let's, let's jump off on that. So verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. So let's look at that. There's three main parts of that verse 7. We walk by faith and not by sight. So breaking that down, let's just start right at the top of it. The word walk. Uh, looking in the original language, kind of breaking down the definition of its usage in Scripture, walk means to make one's way, to progress, to make use of opportunities. And one of the other words is basically to live. Okay, so we walk. Okay, God's telling us we walk by faith. So we walk, we, we, we live, we progress, we make use of opportunities, we live this life. But the key word there that we're going to utilize today is the word progress. We make progress, okay? So what is the next one? We walk by faith. So let's break that down. We've talked a lot over these last few weeks about faith, but just continuing to break that apart and to let that get inside of us, let's look at it in the context of the scripture. So faith, what is it? It is a conviction or belief respecting man's relationship to God and divine things, generally with the included idea of trust and holy fervor born of faith and joined with it, okay? Now, it was a lot, but we'll look at it again. What is it? It's a conviction. It's a belief respecting man's relationship to God and divine things, generally with the included idea of trust. Trust, that's important. Holy fervor, born of faith, and joined with it. And then the last thing is the word sight. And the, uh, in the original language, breaking down its usage in this scripture literally means the external or the outward appearance, sight. So it's something that we see, okay? Obviously, external or outward appearances. All right, so let's take all of that and put it together and let's begin to walk this thing out this morning, okay? So God wants us to walk, to progress in this life by faith, a conviction, a belief, respecting our relationship with Him and um, not by sight, the external, the outward appearance. So progressing by faith, conviction, trust, and not by sight, the external or the outward, okay? So look, let's say it again. God wants us to progress by an internal conviction, because that's what that is. Convictions are not obviously something that we can see, touch, you know, that they're not tangible. So God wants us to live by those internal things, that internal trust, and not by the external. So that kind of sounds like another portion of scripture. God wants us to look at what is in the inside and not what is on the outside. So for those of you who already know where we're going, let's head to another passage of scripture, and that would be 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting at verse 7. It says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Okay? So, for those of you who don't know where that passage of Scripture is coming from, that is the prophet Samuel who was instructed by the Lord to go to the house of Jesse He said, Jesse, I want you to get all of your sons. I want you to line them up because God has told me that in your sons, one of your sons in that group is going to be the next king of Israel. Now, I can only imagine how proud Jesse felt as he got all of his sons decked up and dressed out to the nines. You can imagine he's, oh, he's going to be before the man of God. One of you boys is going to be king. We can only imagine the conversations that were being held, right? But yet one after one after one, God said, that's not the one. 
That's not the one. And that's what happens here at verse 7. That's what the Lord literally said to Samuel. Because it, it says in that whole passage, as he looks at the first one, he's handsome, he's rugged, he's good. And God's like, no, that's, that's, that's not what I'm looking for. Man looks on the outside, I look on the heart. And of course, the rest of that passage goes on to say that Samuel looks at Jesse after he's gone through all of them, hasn't found the king yet, and goes, okay, so is there any other son that is not here? And Jesse sins, of course, we know. He sins for his youngest son, David, who's out in the fields. And of course, you know, he doesn't have any time to come in and get all dressed up and get all cleaned up, comes in fresh out the field, probably smells like a shepherd because that's what he was. And yet when he comes on the scene, God tells Samuel, that is my man. And we know, we've probably heard this many times, that God refers to King David as a man after God's own heart. That's what God was looking for. So we can see this first thing, okay? So God wants us to progress, right? Walk by faith, not by sight. So what this is an illustration of is, you know, what Jesse did and what Samuel was doing initially was walking by sight, looking at the external. And you know what? Look, let's be honest, okay? Obviously, we need our sight to function. We have to live this life. You know, if I walk around this life with my eyes closed and trusting and like, and I'm not familiar with the situation, I'm probably going to find myself on the ground, okay? So in the natural, yes, obviously, we realize we need our sight to be able to live. But what that is doing, really, that, that helps us to exist in this life, to function in this life. But God is obviously talking about progressing, moving forward in the life that he wants us to have in him. And so in that moment, what they were doing is they were trusting merely in the external. We can say it one way. You may have heard this phrase before. Seeing is believing, you know? Right now, I'm sitting in front of a screen and, you know, we're sitting in front, you know, where you are in your home or wherever you are, you're sitting in front of a screen. You can look at that screen, you can touch that screen, you can hold it in your hands and whatever else is around you and you can go, because I see this, and maybe you have someone else sitting next to you, hey, do you see this as well? You know, do you see this in my hand? Yes, I do. So we know because we see it, it exists. It is not a figment of our imagination, okay? And that is how we exist in this life. But God is wanting us not to trust in the things that we merely see because God's view and God's idea of progress for our life many times takes us beyond what we can simply see. You know, we don't just live by the facts. We're people who are ruled by the facts. What I see is what I believe. And you know what? Nine times out of 10, that's going to help us live in this life. But when we trust in God, it has to go further. So let's take it to the next step, progressing or living by the inward. And that would be walk by faith, okay? Where we take it and we turn that phrase, seeing is believing, where we turn it around and what it becomes is believing is seeing. Where we don't just live by the facts, but we live by faith. And let's jump into John chapter 20, verse 29. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. What's going on in this passage is the Doubting Thomas scripture. What has happened here is that Jesus has already been crucified, he's been placed in the grave, and he's already rose from the dead. Word of it's beginning to get out. And so his disciples are starting to, people are starting to talk, man, I've seen Jesus, I've seen, you know, all this. And of course, Thomas, you know, famously says, I won't believe until I can put my hands in his nail scars. And of course, Jesus shows up on the scene and basically, you know, says, all right, Thomas, here I am, are you ready? And of course, Thomas, you know, lovingly, not, you know, Jesus not putting him down, but just lovingly telling him, listen, I've had all of this time with you beforehand and I told you what was going to happen. You know, 
And there are people who have, you know, heard and they have already believed. It's more blessed for you to believe and, and trust in what I said, to have faith in what I said, that I would come back. You know, it's great. Look, I know you trust and I know we're here and we're going to move on. But as he says here at the tail end of this scripture, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, was Thomas kicked to the curb? Was he thrown out of the club? No, but God was trying to illustrate that point. There is more to live this life and progressing in a life of faith than simply trusting in what you see. You know, there's a very interesting thing, you know, on this next part that I wanna talk about. One of the definitions um, of the word heart in 1 Samuel 16, 7, where it says God looks at the heart, is the seat of the emotions. And obviously we realize that when we talk about it. Oh, my heart hurts, I'm this, I'm that. And we're, we're talking about our emotions. And we know that figuratively speaking, our emotions come from our heart. All right, so let's take our enemy here for a second and the way that he works in the situation. One of the primary tactics of our enemy is to produce counterfeits. If he can't get you to simply disobey, what he'll try to do is bring a counterfeit to what God has spoken and what you're following. Okay, so you might say, all right, well, look, yes, I'm walking this life of faith. I'm not just going to trust in what I see. I'm going to walk in faith and I'm going to trust what is inward and what goes beyond what I see. Well, the counterfeit that the enemy brings to us to living a life of faith, which is inward, conviction, trust, and all those things, is living through a life of feelings, okay? The heart, the seat of the emotions. God gave us emotions. They're, they're good. They help us live out this life and it's not boring and there's so much more function to our feelings. But God has instructed us not to be led and not to um, exist and not to be driven by that, but to be driven and led and to trust in Him and to progress by faith. All right? So we've said before that when you live a life of facts, that's seeing is believing. When you live a life of faith, believing is seeing. And so if we can say it this way, when you live by your feelings, Believing is not seeing, believing is blinding. And so let's jump into that. And I wanna show you that here in scripture. Jeremiah chapter 17, we're gonna read verses seven through nine. It says, blessed is the man who trusts, there's that word again, who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Verse eight, he's like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. I'm gonna pause right there before I jump into verse nine. Do you see the picture that's being set up there? It says a man who trusts in the Lord is like a tree, okay? And we've probably heard, you've probably heard this many times. Roots that are extended is a tree planted by the stream. That tree whose roots go down deep can we always see roots? No. The nutrients that are absorbed from the soil and roots many times are things that we don't see. We see the tree. We don't always see the roots. But yet the picture that is being shown here is a picture of trust. Even whenever there's a drought in that stream, even whenever there's heat that comes down, that tree doesn't have to be afraid in hard times because its roots have gone down into the soil where it can't see. It's gone beyond what I can see. Oh, I'm by a stream. Oh, the weather's beautiful. These are things, facts. Whenever you know the weather's good, whenever the water's there, a tree will thrive. Well, that's not always what happens. Sometimes that stuff goes away. Sometimes that tree has to go through hard times. And what happens there? A tree that is planted deep, a tree whose roots go down into what is, goes beyond what is seen, can have a trust and an assurance. That's the picture that's being painted here. So let's jump into verse nine. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
Well, verse 10 gives that answer. It says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. What is God telling us there? I've given you emotions. And you know what? Those, those emotions and the way that you act and the way that you function and the things that you do based off of those emotions, I'll look at that and I'll judge and I'll give according to all of that. But God is telling us the heart is deceitful. The heart can deceive us. Our feelings can trick us. We can say it this way. Feelings can twist facts to produce falsehoods. Happens all the time. How many times have we made a decision based off of emotion? Maybe we've done it. You know, look, the very simplest of, of, uh, of explanations on that is, and, and I'll be the first to admit it, you know, sometimes when you're driving, you get angry, you, you know, and like you're, you're running late or something and maybe somebody's, you know, you know, just that person who's just minding their own business, but they pulled out in front of you and like they are delaying you. So all of a sudden you make a decision to either go around them quickly or to speed up. And, and that's not exactly the best thing you want to do in traffic. Why? It was a decision that was fueled by emotion. And if you see those lights light up behind you with a car coming, then you realize it wasn't the best decision. Did it feel right at the moment? Maybe so. I'm so angry right now. I can't believe this person pulled out in front of me. I've got to get where I've got to get. You know what? I'm just going to make a decision. And that's a very simple one. But how many times have we made huge decisions based off of emotion and not based off of trust in the Lord or even maybe even looking at the facts? Maybe we took the facts and threw them out the window because we were being driven by emotion. Feelings can twist facts and produce a falsehood. Feelings fade and our eyes can deceive us. When we trust in ourselves wholly, not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y. When we trust in ourselves wholly, only in ourselves, and we don't trust in God, we are setting ourselves up for eventual disaster. When we look too far ahead, okay, whenever we walk and we progress in, in our faith and what we're looking at on the external and we're trusting in our own sight, when we look too far ahead, relying on our own vision, right? Not, not walking by faith, but walking by our own sight and trusting in ourselves wholly and we extend our own vision too far out in front of us, what we see can be distorted. It can be distorted by what? By what's between us and what we're looking at. As we draw to a close today, as we're coming in for a landing, I wanna, I wanna begin to wrap this up and kind of tie all this together with a story that many of you are gonna probably be familiar with. In the year 1912, a very famous passenger ship was making its uh, maiden voyage from England to America. A very hyped ship, a very important ship, very important people were on this and it was the pinnacle of society. And uh, this ship had even been touted. It was the pinnacle of engineering, all kinds of new technology and, and, and advancements had been made to where they could say, not even God can sink this ship. And before this ship could even get across the ocean on its maiden voyage, struck an iceberg and in less than three hours was at the bottom of the ocean. Many of you may know that I'm talking about, of course, the RMS Titanic. And whenever this ship went down, it was, I mean, there was an uproar. I, it, was, it was insane because over 1,500 people died in this maritime tragedy. And many of them were very wealthy, very affluent, and very important people. And they wanted to know why, why, how could this happen? You said this couldn't happen. You said this ship couldn't be sunk. And, and of course, am I saying this morning that God sunk this ship? No, of course not. But if we look at it, everything that was surrounding the Titanic was incredibly built in what was seen, what was our own accomplishment, and very much in a sense of pride. 
Now, there have been movies made about this. Over a hundred years later, this ship still captures our attention and our imaginations. And a number of years ago, there was a documentary made because obviously this was the subject of much inquisition and hundreds of years of testimony and pouring over all of this, explorations down to the site. People went, how could this happen? How could you not see this massive iceberg sticking up out of the water? And there was even talk about ships in the area and, and they, you know, there was an SOS sent up and they ignored it and all of these things. How could this happen? And this is probably one of the most interesting theories that I've seen in the last number of years. And I thought it was a, a wonderful point that can help illustrate this, this, this point of progressing and walking by faith and not by sight. So the documentary posited this. Um, I'm sure you've heard of the phrase a mirage before, but something I had not heard of prior to this is called a cold water mirage. Now we're probably very used to seeing the 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 um, the phenomenon of the water on the road, right? And we usually see that in hot weather if we're looking down a road and it's very hot weather, very dry weather, whatever, and we can see what looks like water on a road as we look further down the road. And that's, you know, a, a hot air mirage, but I'd never heard before of a cold water mirage or a cold air mirage. And what had happened there was at the spot where the Titanic was sunk, where two different streams were meeting. And so the temperatures were incredibly varying. Where the Titanic went down is the most, some of the most frigid water you can be around. It's just not designed for human survival. That's why people who made it into the water passed away so quickly, so cold. But yet, just a number of miles away, it's very warm water. And so what happened there was those changing of temperatures began to create conditions and you know, many testimonies over the time said it was a very clear and a very brilliant night with all the stars, yet there was no moon. And so what happens in a hot water or a hot air mirage is that the horizon that you see is bent downwards. But in a cold water or cold air mirage, the horizon is bent upwards. And so with no moon that night, and those, those uh, light being um, refracted or the light being bent by what was happening there, you know, uh, the crow's nest on the Titanic, you know, one of the best lookouts, because they, 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 again, they got the best, of, the best of everything. The lookouts with their, their own eyes unaided could see 12 miles off, giving a ship up to 30 minutes to make any type of course corrections. Yet by the time they spotted this iceberg, they literally only had 30 seconds to make a course correction. How could that be? It's because, and one of the things that this posits is that as the horizon was bent upwards with no moon that night, nothing to illuminate, the horizon came up and anything that would be in your view would be obscured. See, what happened was what they were looking at, the facts. There's an iceberg out there, okay? And there was another ship that was very close that could have helped them, but yet the captain was so convinced, and this was no green captain. This was a, a, a you know, this was a very seasoned sailor that when they saw it a ways off, he said, I'm telling you, that is not the Titanic. And until his dying day, he was dogged and hounded and said, how could you not think so? And they say that this phenomenon created both of those things because it took the view of what was seen a ways off and distorted it to where what they saw, what they believed to be true by what they could see was actually not true because what was between them, the lens of what they saw had been distorted and had been changed. And so the facts and what they saw in their own sight was manipulated and what they believed was not actually true. So what are the facts there? There's no iceberg in sight. That's not the Titanic. What were the feelings, living by feelings? There were people who literally got on this ship based off of the hype. Not even God himself can sink this ship. And yet they found themselves in a great disaster. But what was the faith out of that story? 
Some of you may have heard this, that the band is believed to have played a song, Nearer My God to Thee, even as the ship was going down. And that was based off of eyewitnesses. And do we have all of that? No, but there was another uh, maritime disaster a few years prior to that that was very similar. And it is documented that that is the song that the women who were clinging to life as the ship went down began to sing this song, Nearer My God to Thee. Though we're faced with disaster, though the ship is sinking, God, we wanna be nearer to you because we know our hope and our trust and our faith is in you. And am I trying to end this on a down note? Of course not. But what I want us to see in one final passage of scripture, and let's again, close to this, bring it all together. First Peter chapter one, verses three through nine. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse six, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Do we find ourselves in that position today as a nation, as a people? Verse seven, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire. If you tuned in last week, we talked about that in refined, God refining us as gold being tested. Even in those trials, you may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse eight, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That's what we said at the beginning of this sermon today. In the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. Can we see joy? Can we touch joy? Can we, can we taste it or, or see it or touch it with our hands? No, but we believe the word of God that in his presence, there's fullness of joy. And verse nine, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What am I saying in all of this? When we walk by faith, we will see salvation. It's so easy for us right now to look through the lens of what is going on in this world. We see things on the news, we read things on social media, and what we see so many times can begin to affect us to where we believe that is what is reality. That is what we're walking by. That is what we are progressing by. But God says today, I want you to look past what you see. I want you to look past your, your sight. I want you to look past what, that can even affect your emotions. I want you to look past all of that, and I want you to trust in what I've told you. Many of you are clinging right now to the promises of God and many of you are just clinging, hanging on for dear life. And there are many of you that are right now that have trusted in God's word and you are thriving in this time. God wants us to live in that. God wants us to walk and to trust and to progress in faith in him. Because when we, when this verse just showed us, when we walk in faith in him, we will see salvation. We can look at the situation through so much fact that we forget to care about people. We can be so overwhelmed by emotion of the situation that we don't do anything. Maybe we're just shut down right now. We need to let God show us through his eyes what he wants accomplished by his heart. And we will not only see his salvation, but we can help others find it. Let's pray and close this time together. Dear precious Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that we can trust in you. God, 
I'll be the first to say, Lord, that I, Lord, I'm not always the first to grab, Lord, what I, sometimes, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm ruled by what I see and I can let that affect me. But God, starting with me first and all of us, Lord, together as a body of believers, Lord, let us trust in you. Let us look, God, with faith. Let us look, God, through the lens of heaven, not through the lens of this world, not through the filter of what this world wants to show us, but to trust in you, to look past emotions and, Lord, to have that inner conviction, God, that trust in you and we will see salvation as we walk it out as we progress in you lord i pray that you be with each and every one of us guard our hearts guard our minds in christ jesus as we continue to walk and trust in you we thank you for your salvation and we thank you lord for your love and your power in our lives and it's in the name of jesus we pray amen and amen thanks again so much for joining with us we'll see you next week god bless Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.